You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of thebarkboard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show hosts and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. I'm Lucio Reek, your host of the show, being joined, as always, by Jackson Moore, the publisher of the Barkboard. And Jackson, what a game. Uh, it kind of kind of went the Bulldogs' way, and we were uh, we were hoping to see that, but uh, are you surprised at all with the outcome? Yeah, not surprised by the outcome, but kind of surprised with the process that it took to get there. <laughs> uh, did not see that many points happening. And as well as, you know, the, the reason why I felt confident that this was a toss-up, but that the Bulldogs would ultimately get the win was because of Coach Tedford and his staff going up against a rookie head coach, even at Purdue with more resources and, you know, better perceived talent to a degree. But I thought Coach Tedford would have the team playing cleaner and make the extra plays to get over the top. And even really that didn't quite play out because the Bulldogs were the ones that made quite a few key mistakes. They gave up the big touchdown pass right off the bat. They gave up the kick return for a touchdown right off to start the third quarter. There was a punt that put Purdue like inside the 25 that they turned into a touchdown. So, I mean, Fresno State did all of the Fresno State things that typically cost them these games that we've all been through so many of these heartbreakers over the years and they still pulled it out. So, that was a big relief and you know, very surprised the offense clicked the way it did. I thought it was going to take them a couple of weeks. Coach McCann called an excellent game. Mikey Keene executed to perfection, even with some pressure a lot of the time. And I mean, they made, they, they shot themselves in the foot several times, but they made every play they needed to, to overcome that and get the win. And, you know, it just feels like we don't get too many of these at Fresno State, but they're becoming more prevalent. There was the San Diego State game last year. There was the UCLA game-winning drive. Um, it feels like the tide's kind of turning a little bit in terms of these close games that uh, a lot of them seem to go the wrong way earlier in the Bulldog history. Yeah, it's making the making it uh, a lot more interesting uh, these last few years where the Bulldogs are able to kind of not only be competitive but come out on top uh, against these teams, especially a team from uh, the what the they're the Big Ten, right, Jackson? Yeah, Big Ten country out in Indiana. I mean, not an easy place to get to. I was surprised to see as many Bulldog fans that were out there. I mean, you could see it on TV. There was quite a bit of red wave. You could hear when the Bulldogs took their first lead. A big Fresno State chant was on TV on on the Big Ten Network uh, television. So. Uh, I mean, it was an impressive showing to go there. Um, I know Purdue's not necessarily a Big Ten juggernaut, but they are defending West Division champs, and uh, they did have a very talented quarterback in Hudson Card who really had a a pretty plain game compared to Fresno State's Mikey Keene. I thought Card would be the big star in this game, but it was all about Keene. Yeah, I mean, Keene and uh, not to mention Eric Brooks uh, with a, a breakout game this week. Um, and, uh, it, it just seemed like it was very hard, uh, for Purdue to stop Brooks, no matter what they did. Right, Jackson? Yeah. I mean, and that's, he's a player that's made a lot of big catches over the last couple of years as he's been in the lineup, but you know, you just don't count on kind of that smaller slot receiver to so frequently be open downfield. And he was, and Mikey just kept seeming to find him so frequently. I mean, 
we think about that slot position, Nico Remigio usually getting the ball and then doing something after it. Um, but I mean, Brooks was all the way downfield getting open and uh, the Purdue slots and you know the extra DBs just didn't quite have an answer. The safeties, uh, he was doing whatever he wanted against all of them. So that was a huge part. And then Keen putting it right on the money just about every time. And they needed all of that to go their way to, to win this one. Jalen Gill also out of the slot had a big day. So, I mean, those two got the large majority of the targets, which usually in these types of offenses, they go to the outside receivers. Yeah, and you know what uh, Brooks reminded me of, and it's, uh, I don't know if you remember this duo with uh, Peyton, Mandy and, uh, Peyton Manning and Brandon Stokely. Remember that kind of a matchup all the time <laughs> where Brandon Stokely was always wide open no matter what? <laughs> that was Eric Brooks on this last game. For whatever reason, he was always wide open. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and he was also making those tough catches whenever they needed him to make them and, and making plays. And, you know, Purdue knew it was coming and still yet could not figure out how to stop it. Um, and it, it to me, it just seems like moving forward, uh, Eric Brooks is going to be a key where they're going to start to roll more of the defense his way. And I don't know, between you and me, Jackson, as they start to do that, some of these other wide receivers are going to start getting open because there's way too much talent on this Bulldog wide receiver core, right? Yeah, we saw Magdalena and Jalen Moss both played a lot in this game. Didn't see the ball a ton. So I think as the season goes on, we'll see that even out a little bit and they'll get more targets. Um, Josiah Freeman played a little bit. Uh, we actually, I, I thought we might see more receivers, but they really honed in on about the top four guys, and then Freeman played a little bit on top of that. So I think maybe this Eastern Washington game coming up will be a chance to get more guys involved and get a, a few more players more comfortable. But, I mean, yeah, uh, I think the other part of this particular matchup at Purdue that was a big factor was the exotic defense that the Boilermakers brought. They were rushing five defenders basically every play and all at the line of scrimmage to make – basically five one-on-one matchups between linemen and the O-line and the D-line every single play, which is not something you usually see. Usually you're going to have three or four base guys rushing, and maybe you'll have an extra linebacker or someone coming from the next level. But uh, a weird matchup up front, and Purdue won a lot of those one-on-one matchups, but Mikey Keene was able to evade some pressure, buy some extra time, and make some really difficult throws under pressure. And, I mean, this is how important the transfer portal is. I mean, imagine... Oh, even Logan Fife, I mean, he came in and made a big throw, which was, I mean, put three points on the board before halftime, which was very critical. But you know, we know he, he had some trouble against the pressure in his first couple of starts. And, you know, and under normal circumstances, Fresno State, before the portal, wouldn't have had anyone with any starting experience. I mean, they would have been crushed in this, in this matchup, I think, with the type of pressure Purdue was getting. So, uh, I mean, how huge was it for Fresno State to get Keene, to have him ready to start game one? for him to live up to all the hype. Uh, there was a lot of reasons the Bulldogs won this game, but there was just no way it was going to happen without a special quarterback performance, and they got it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right now it looks like the the offense right now is going to revolve around that uh, that passing game that the Bulldogs have right now uh, because for whatever reason the running game looks like um, we, weren't, we weren't expecting the running game to be kind of dinged, uh, banged up this past week, but apparently, according to some reports 
Fresno State's uh, running group was was dinged up in this game, right, Jackson? So that's why they seemed to kind of lean heavily on the third string running back. Yeah, apparently Malik Sherrod wasn't quite 100% and probably uh, got worse as the game went on. Um, it really got taken out of the, the equation for the most part other than being in there to score that first go-ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter where he stumbled and was almost lucky to get in there, even though it was the free lane to <laughs> the end zone. Um, Devin Rivers had a, a nice run, and then he got dinged up too shortly after that. So, I mean, that's running back number one and number two on the depth chart. But really, Elijah Gilliam got the hot hand, and, I mean, perfect timing with the other guys dinged up. Uh I mean, perfect timing with the other guys banged up for Elijah Gilliam to step in there and, and be the guy to take 20 carries, almost get a hundred yards. I mean, that was critical. And so on the surface, it looked like they rode the hot hand, but I think it was more about injuries and that when Sherrod and rivers are healthy, they're going to want them to be quite involved. It's not going to be all Gilliam, but uh, it also means going forward that there could be some other running backs that factor in if Sherrod and rivers are still not quite fully healed this week or in the coming week. So um, they're already down to running back number three, and we'll see very soon if anyone else gets involved. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, from what I can tell, there's some reports saying that, uh, you know, some of the running backs should, like uh, Rivers seems to be healthy <laughs> from reports, but I guess we'll see at game day, right, Jackson? Uh, it's uh, it, it's going to be kind of, Interesting to see uh, how they're going to play this uh, this out or if they're going to kind of limit some of these guys. Since Gilliam has the hot hand, do they go into this next game, especially against a, a team like Eastern Washington, and just let uh, Gilliam continue to, to take the load while the other two guys make sure that they're 100%? Um, could we see some of that happening next, uh, next week? I think so. Uh, we've got some updates from practice on the VIP board about where Rivers and Sherrod stand right now. Um, but as good as Gilliam played, even if those two are much more you know, effective than what we saw against Purdue, uh, I think you've got to really reward him for what he did and <laughs> how effective it was. Uh, Absolutely. He looks like a big juggernaut compared to the other two running yeah. backs. Yeah, I mean, it felt like Sherrod was not, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but he is really strong for his size. And I just knew something didn't look right the way he was going down seemingly on the, the first hand that got onto him from a Purdue defender that uh, something didn't seem right there. So uh, hopefully he gets back to his old self rather quickly and lives up to what we've been thinking he can be. But uh, I mean, shout out to Gilliam, a, a walk on who lived up to the opportunity. And I think this week, you know, you might see some other guys involved. Randon Ramirez, the other true freshman has been knocking on the door of uh, playing time. Jonathan Arsenault has been, developing through some injuries the last couple of years. He should be about ready. Uh, Charles Greer, another true freshman, might get a chance. So, I mean, those are the guys that are, are kind of up next and uh, could fill some roles here if uh, Rivers and Sherrod aren't quite ready. Yeah, this is going to be one of those uh, one of those weeks where it's it's Eastern Washington. They're, they don't need to kind of uh, take too many chances. I mean, they uh, granted, they, they better not take uh, – uh, Eastern Washington for granted. They can come in and give them a lot of headaches uh, if they were to do that. But it does give them a little bit of breathing room to kind of let some of these guys heal up a little bit. Um, so uh, I, I think, you know, 
watch a little more heavy dose of the passing game happening this upcoming week again after all the success that the Bulldogs had last week. Uh, But it's going to be, it it should be a fun, entertaining game to have as the first home opener uh, coming up. But before we do that, let's let's also dig a little deeper into this game uh, that uh, was up against Purdue. In your in your thoughts, how did the defense look uh, against Purdue? Yeah, this the defense surprised me a little bit. I was expecting more. At the same time, they gave up thirty five points, but it's not all on them. I mean, you can quickly do the math and put up. A, I mean, the special teams for Purdue ran back a kick. That's seven right there. One of the field position situations that put Purdue inside the 20 just about on a a punt from Fresno State's own end zone and a return. I mean, that turned into a touchdown rather quickly. Um, I mean, even the early score they gave up was kind of abnormal. I think you kind of write that one off the 84-yard touchdown right off the bat. So, I mean, if you eliminate those very small areas of the game, that did put up a lot of points, but kind of focus on the bigger picture, they – only gave up what about 14 points remaining after that one of them was off of a turnover that wasn't a a huge turnover as far as field position it was kind of a almost like a punt that Mikey threw on third and long that got picked off Uh, but the momentum uh, definitely carried the Boilermakers into a score there late that nearly was the game winner if Fresno State hadn't answered Um, so I think for the most part they did play well but the points just added up in a way I didn't expect I think Purdue's receivers had a little more success against Cam Lockers and Carlton Johnson than I expected to see. And I think those two are really going to take that personally and try to uh, flex their talents a little bit in the upcoming weeks to, to make up for that. I thought that the D-line did a, a fine job. They were very good against the, the run and a, a powerful Purdue running back. And while there weren't a lot of sacks or maybe not any that went in the stat sheet, they were in the backfield quite a bit. And especially – Devo Bridges and Kamari Munir Bailey, those two got into the backfield quite a bit. And those are the two that are filling in the former end position from David Perales. So I thought that was really encouraging for those two to both be back there and disrupt Hudson Card. I think they're going to get their sacks as the season goes on. Um, so, you know, it was uh, kind of a mixed bag, but, you know, not something that uh, I'm terribly concerned about from that group. I think they're going to, as they settle in, play quite a bit better. I think the tackling, it's always going to be a little shaky when you open week one, the way that fall camps operate now, there's not a lot of live play. So that's always a concern in your first game of how effective you're going to be tackling. And they missed like five tackles on that 84 yard touchdown pass that Purdue started the game with. So I feel good about the defense, even though if you would have just told me Fresno State to give up 35 points, I would have been horrified and assumed they lost the game. <laughs> but uh, actually seeing how it played out, I, I don't think it's as concerning as the uh, the score would suggest. Yeah, while I came into this game, I did my prediction. I predicted it was going to be 35-28 to 28, Fresno State winning. Uh, ended up being 38-35. I wasn't too far off. Um, I predicted it was going to be high scoring because it is week one. You know, defenses are still trying to fill out each other a little bit. And granted, not to mention, neither one of these teams had any film on either uh, on each other uh, with all the turnover they had on players. So it was going to make for kind of an interesting game of uh, of 
uh, X's and O's until somebody figures out how to stop the other team. Um, and it looked like that's what ended up happening in the second half. Fresno State ended up uh, having an upper hand as as making the best adjustments to, to win this game. And, uh, yeah, it it it. it went according to plan as as far as i know it jackson <laughs> but uh one thing i did I, I mean you did mention a little bit of how the defense played there and the defensive line was to me was the standout for for this fresno state defense they they really came uh came to play and they were pushing back the the offensive line of purdue Granted, from what I from the reports they were telling on TV. Now I don't know if this is true or not. They were on their third string uh, center, um, yeah. <laughs> so maybe that does make a difference. <laughs> but Fresno State's defense was certainly pushing back on that on that Purdue offensive line and really wreaking havoc. Yeah, and and when you're at Purdue, even your third streak center is a guy who started at Colorado last year. So I don't feel too bad for them, but. Uh, yeah, I did feel like they were able to take advantage of that matchup. We knew going in um, that Colorado's O-line or Purdue's O-line was not in a, a great place. Even some of their starters that had emerged were group of five transfers. So it didn't feel like a huge mismatch that you might expect going to face a Big Ten O-line. But still, uh, with the big running backs that Purdue had, especially Maccabee, there was some concern for me if you know he might be able to break that first tackle and get to the next level and make some plays. And that just didn't happen too much. And so the other aspect for Fresno State's D-line is we had reported on the VIP board throughout the week that Gabriel Lightfoot was questionable going into that game. He didn't practice a whole lot. And he ended up playing and playing very well and playing a lot. He didn't come off the field very much. Um, And also a testament to that starting D-line. The big thing we were hearing all camp was that Fresno State really liked their depth and all the junior college players and, and transfers they brought in. Uh, but the starting group rarely came off the field. Uh, about 11 different D linemen played, but there just weren't a lot of snaps for the second team guys. And it wasn't a game with a lot of plays for them to need a lot of the second team players to play snaps. But the starters were out there for the majority of the game, and they proved that you know they're more than capable of taking on a, a power five team and Kamari Bailey was kind of the one specialist that came in off the bench that played quite a bit got in the backfield quite a bit as I mentioned and he's a guy that was not listed on the depth chart but kind of like the fifth man right now with that four-man defensive front I think they're going to be using him a lot on passing downs and I really liked what I saw from him so then you factor in Lavelle Bailey had a fantastic game at linebacker. Malachi Langley is always solid, so they were uh, as good as you could ask for up front. Absolutely, it was. It turned out to be a very good game for the Bulldogs, uh, which gives them a little bit of extra juice heading into uh, the home opener at home. Um, you know, up against a you know, for lack of a better term, a, a Division two team. Um, I know that they've got all these fancy FCS and FBS and all. I, I just, I'm, it's just easier for me to say Division Two team. It's just easier that way. Um, so Fresno State's going to be playing host to Eastern Washington, but from all reports that I'm hearing, Eastern Washington is no pushover. Uh, they did have a great season last last year, even though they they uh, ended up losing their first uh, game of the season. They're going to be coming into Fresno State and they're going to want to give the Bulldogs their best shot. Um, so they're not going to be coming in and going through the motions uh, as far as that's concerned, right, Jackson? 
Yeah, when Fresno State scheduled this game, it made me nervous because, you know, a few years ago when they put this on the docket, we knew that Fresno State was going to lose a lot after the 2022 season. And, you know, now we know they've reloaded in a way we couldn't have imagined based off of how good the offense was. But most FCS programs that have come, the Bulldog Stadium slash Valley Children's Stadium have really been bad FCS schools. Uh, a lot of the Cal Poly teams that have come here have just been really bad FCS schools. Uh, Sac State, up until their last appearance, had been pretty poor. You know, teams like Incarnate Word and you know those kinds of teams that have come here just have, you know, not, not all FCS teams are equal. There's a good 10 to 20 programs that are pretty good and can beat some FBS teams. And then you've got a lot of average and, and bad FCS teams, and those are the ones that Fresno State has just kind of happened to play against. So, um, so Eastern Washington has been to the FCS playoffs, I believe, 12 out of the last 18 years or so. Uh, I mean, they've been on quite a run. Um, they have actually won a national championship in 2010. Uh, fortunately for Fresno State, this looks like good timing. They, they only went 3-8 and eight last year. They still have a, a good coaching staff, a lot of the guys that have been there for a lot of their success, but they got hit by the portal a little bit. They took a dip last year, and it doesn't look like they quite have the talent that they've had in past years. So I think Fresno State's going to dodge a little bit of a bullet here. I think Fresno State's, after what we saw in week one, good enough to handle any FCS team, of course, but uh, I think there was a scenario where Fresno State and Eastern Washington could have been a scary game, but it's not going to play out. I think the Bulldogs are going to be pretty safe here. Um, but as you mentioned, Eastern Washington, I mean, they played a lot of high-level games. Even their week one game, they played against North Dakota State. And if you follow FCS at all, you know, they're basically the Alabama of the FCS football. Uh, they won that game 35-10 to 10 over the Eagles and uh, basically dictated the tempo the whole time. But um, as far as FCS opposition goes Eastern Washington just played the best and uh, they're going to have some sort of uh, talent barometer for what they're going up against for with Fresno State and I just don't think they're going to have as, as many talented guys as we've seen them have in the past I think Fresno State's going to be just fine here yeah they, they're uh, I believe so I think the uh, the Bulldogs are going to be able to to kind of uh, have their way uh, with with Eastern Washington now granted Fresno is not going to come out with their full uh, playbook. They're going to try and be as vanilla as possible in this game. Don't you think Jackson? I think so. Especially they put so much out there last week against Purdue. In fact, <laughs> coach McCann said uh, his quote was, we unloaded the chamber, which was cool to hear. And he also said, I'd like to think we did not call a conservative game plan, which also, I mean, what more do you want to hear from an offensive coordinator? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Fresno State's got a really good one with him. Now, some of the intricacies of this game is that he was most recently the interim offensive coordinator at Eastern Washington. So they're going to have a pretty good idea of how Fresno State is going to attack them, even with the full playbook. Um, and also, likewise, their defensive coordinator now was on the Eastern Washington staff when McCann was there. So he's got a good idea. McCann also shared in the Monday press conference that Eastern Washington's defensive coordinator who was promoted hired three defensive coaches who McCann worked with at UC Davis once upon a time. So he basically knows that whole staff and how they operate and they know him. So there's not going to be a whole lot of secrets here, but I just do think if Fresno state can 
get more players involved, can simplify the offense a little bit, and has the luxury to coast a little bit in the second half that they will take full advantage. But uh, this is, uh, while I'm not sure how talented they're going to be on defense, they should be pretty well coached, and they've they've got a a pretty good scheme behind them that's going to make life a little bit difficult for the Bulldogs, but I I think the talent is going to prevail at the end of the day by a, a pretty good margin. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think the Bulldogs have uh, have what it takes to to kind of make this game. Um, if if they play their cards right, this game could be over by halftime. Um, uh, but again, that's if the Bulldogs decide to to kind of open it up a little bit and and really move the pieces around a little bit. Otherwise, they they may be they may just keep this Eastern Washington team in the game at least until the third quarter before they decide to to put them away. But it's not something Bulldog fans like to hear. But again, you also don't want to tip your hat to to the upcoming game in the following week, which is going to be Arizona, right, Jackson? So they want Arizona. Arizona State is going to be one yeah. they get, yeah yeah. So they kind of don't want to open up too much. And give Arizona State a little too much to see, so this could be one of those where the the score may be a little closer than some of the fans may like it to be by halftime. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm just putting it out there. Um, so, but the uh, I do feel that the Bulldogs will come out on top on this one. Um, and again, so let's let's kind of break it down jackson let's let's do what we do Let, let's 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 uh break down the matchups let's go with fresno state offense versus eastern washington's defense and what do you have down on paper and and what do you see yeah well we got one look at eastern washington last week of course they played north dakota state who is kind of a they have a lot of power running to them. They've also produced several NFL quarterbacks uh, from their FCS program. So uh, they kind of played balanced, and that's what led them to victory against Eastern Washington. Um, they ran the ball to the tune of 337 yards on 39 carries. Uh, they still passed for 176 yards. I think Fresno State's eventual box score might be about flipped. I don't see them running for 300 yards on Eastern Washington just by the nature of how good the passing game was against Purdue and how the running back unit is is dinged up a bit. But, um, I mean, it's a a defensive scheme that, again, is a little complex. They're going to have a variety of different looks that they throw at Fresno State. They're going to try to win some of the mental battle to to try to make up for some of the physicality. But, for me, I think if the Bulldogs can get a nice push up front, not quite the kind that they got against Purdue, if they have a better matchup on the O-line, they should give Mikey plenty of time to do what he wants to do and maybe establish the running game a little earlier, a little more consistently. And uh, Balance will be key, but I think Fresno State's more than capable of throwing on this team for a, a big day if they need to. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think it's uh, gonna. The ball's gonna get spread around a little bit more this week, um, and they're gonna just key in on certain matchups and try and get other wide receivers involved early on to to kind of help uh, uh, help what they did last week, um, so that they don't just make it all you know to one receiver. <laughs> that way, <laughs> it makes it harder to just kind of key on a, a key in on one receiver. Now, I was really happy with the tight end play of last week. There was a couple of uh, highlights there that I think kind of sparked some things with the tight end position that we haven't seen in quite some time, Jackson, right? 
Yeah, Trey Watson made some great plays. Jake Faust also had a really nice catch and was solid throughout the game as a blocker. I mean, those two were, were big parts. And it's also why we saw kind of the receiver distribution as we did too. Um, so Eric Brooks and Jalen Gill kind of combined for a full game together, even though that they got all most of the targets. Uh, there was just so much tight end usage. So the two tight ends, at least one on the field just about all game long, that uh, it was tough to get Gill and Brooks on the field at the same time. But the way that they rotated the two of them back and forth, it, it worked out pretty well, I'd say. Oh, yeah. So I, I see a little bit more of that happening this upcoming week. Uh, now, on the flip side of things, you've got Fresno State's defense taking on uh, Eastern Washington's offense. And how how does how do they stack up against this Bulldog defense? Yeah, Eastern Washington has been known for its offenses that the big run I was referring to over the last decade or two that they've had all based on high powered offenses, spreading out the field, slinging the ball around, uh, running with the field spread out. And uh, we haven't seen them excel at that quite as much the last year or so. They've got another new quarterback in this year, Kakoa Vesperis, who hasn't played a whole lot of football um, he had a, a decent day against North Dakota. It was 23 of 39 for 266 and a touchdown through one pick. Um, he was also on his feet a lot, 13 carries for 12 yards with sacks included. Uh, they only handed the ball off 15 times all game long. So it's a, a very quarterback driven offense and they've got a kind of an inexperienced guy back there, which makes this good timing for Fresno state. It's going to allow them to, see if they can force them into some mistakes and take advantage of some situations. I think that's going to be the key here uh, because this is an offense that again is high powered by nature and is a, a very multiple complex offense as coach Coyle, Fresno state defensive coordinator was talking about it this week. I mean, they just throw so many different things at an offense that it's tough to prepare for all of it. He said that when he was setting all 12 offenses on the schedule this year, at Eastern Washington was the scheme that concerned him the most out of anyone. And I don't think that's lip service either because I've seen what they've done over the last several years. And a lot of those coaches are still around. So um, it's a tough offense to prepare for. Uh, fortunately, I don't think they have a lot of the top end talents that can make it run this year. Like they've had in the past, again, especially with a rather inexperienced quarterback, I think it sets up well for the dogs. Um, but it is something that makes you wonder maybe if they can catch the Bulldogs off guard a couple of plays, catch them missing an assignment here or there with the variety of plays they run. Um, maybe they're going to run several trick plays by what Coach Coyle is expecting. So maybe one of those catches Fresno State off guard. You know, just can they do enough things to break down the Bulldogs defense to score a few times and keep it close? I think that's the only concern. I, I think when Fresno State gets them into third and long, um, they're going to be able to, to really feast and uh, force some punts and maybe some turnovers on those plays. Um, but it will be an interesting offense to watch and see if they execute it. Really the one player that also stands out besides the quarterback is Efton Chisholm. He was a three-star recruit in the 2020 class. Uh, probably should have been a Mountain West type of guy and is having quite of a performance over there at Eastern Washington. He had seven catches for 74 yards last week. Uh, Six-foot, 200-pounder from Washington. So he's probably the one player to make sure he, that he doesn't go off and have a big game. Um, not a lot in the running back room. Uh, and one of those offenses that's going to get the ball just into a ton of players hands rather than a couple of go-to guys. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how the the Bulldogs kind of uh, take this one um, and and cover that uh, offense. Now, what I'm uh, what I'm seeing is Fresno State had such success with the defensive line, uh, they they may be in the backfield with this quarterback all night long, Jackson. <laughs> that's that's, mm-hmm. that's what I'm seeing. That they're uh, this quarterback is not going to have very much time to do anything because of this Fresno State defensive line. Am I off base here? Oh, that's the hope. If you can get pressure with your front four and have great cornerback coverage, I mean, you're going to have an excellent defense. And that's what Fresno State did at the end of last season. And that's what they did for the most part at Purdue. And if they can do that here, it's going to be a pretty dominant showing, I think, for the defense. I, I do think the front four are going to be able to get some pressure on their own. And I expect Johnson and Lockridge to have a spirited performance after what happened at Purdue. And look for Bailey and Langley to kind of roam the field and clean up the stuff in the middle or anything that gets past the line. So uh, hopefully this is a game where the defense kind of flexes what it's capable of. But again, this is an offense that even if they're less talented, they can find ways to break you down and and sneak in a score here or there. So uh, I think for the the large majority of the game, Fresno State's going to look really good. But we'll see if Eastern Washington can do just enough to keep it close. Now, also, uh, one of the groups that we're going to have to kind of uh, put our heads together a little bit at Jackson was the play of special teams. Um, kind of a little bit of a head scratcher here. They gave up a they gave up a, long, a kickoff for a touchdown. Uh, they really horribly missed a field goal. Uh, so, yeah, what, what's what's going on there, Jackson? Yeah, that was. That was a disappointment. That was one area you kind of count on Fresno State having an advantage and to have three really brutal plays between the kickoff return. There was that missed field goal from just 21 yards on like an eight-minute drive up to that point. Uh, there was the punt out of their own end zone that it's going to be tough no matter what, but wasn't kicked entirely well, and Eastern Washington brought it back to like the 20-yard line. So, uh, I mean, a lot of misses there. They were able to kick the 51-yard field goal, so uh, the special teams unit kind of redeemed themselves for that one. It's not always all on the kicker, um, but Lynch came through on the 51-yarder. There's some discussion this week that um, maybe Abraham Montano is a little more healthier than he was last week and that they might use him, so that's one thing to watch out for. Uh, I liked what I saw from Eric Brooks in the kick return game on his early opportunity, and we'll see kind of, again, how they handle that with him and Brooks and even Jalen Moss. Um, I expect this group to settle in, but uh, definitely concerning after the first game. I, I think Coach Baxter is usually much better prepared when he has film on an opponent, which they did not have for Purdue. So I think as the weeks go on, they're just going to get stronger and stronger and find more and more cracks and opponents to take advantage of. Absolutely, uh, I know Baxter is very good about uh, about making adjustments. And again, there was this was one game where there wasn't really any film on either side of the ball, uh, so that uh, that will definitely work in uh, Baxter's uh, favor now moving forward uh, with teams where he has film on. So uh, look for the special teams to start making a change here in the next few games uh, as as the season progresses. Like Jackson said, they're just going to get stronger and stronger, and hopefully minimize the mistakes and and move forward uh now jackson that is our breakdown for the upcoming game now let's let's take a look around the mountain west and see some of these matchups that are happening here um and 
it's it's going to be an interesting week, so to speak, for uh, the upcoming games. It looks like everybody's playing on Saturday. Um, and uh, some of the key matchups we have here, we've got UNLV taking on Michigan, San Jose State taking on Cal Poly, Wyoming takes on Portland State, uh, Nevada up against Idaho, Boise State will take on UCF, uh, San Diego State will take on UCLA, uh, Air Force takes on Sam Houston, Utah State takes on Idaho State, New Mexico will take on Tennessee Tech, uh, Fresno State, of course, Eastern Washington, and then Hawaii will take on Albany. Any one of those games kind of stand out to you uh, for the Mountain West here? Um. Well, I got to start with Boise State and UCF. And uh, <laughs> why do I have a feeling you're going to go there? <laughs> there's some, there's some other matchups that are also significant. But I was not surprised at all. Boise State got absolutely rolled over by Washington last week, and I think UCF has the capability to do the same, even on the blue turf. I think there might be enough energy in their home opener to offset some of that but I think UCF's just a lot better and that uh, it's going to be a pretty lopsided result which is not something you normally see on the blue turf I do think Boise State will probably figure things out by the time November rolls around and they get to Fresno State but I just don't think they're in a great spot right now and I think they're gonna I think that's going to show this week and just getting the vibe from those in Boise that know what's going on they're not too confident right now about uh not just the loss of Washington, but just the fashion. It just did not feel like Boise State program, the Boise State program that they're, they've been known to be all these years. So I'm looking for a UCF win by double digits on that one. San Diego State hosts UCLA. I mean, it would sure be nice if Fresno State could host UCLA, but uh, I'm interested to see how uh, the atmosphere is at San Diego State. If they can't sell this one out, they're never going to sell one out, especially with, I'm sure, a lot of Bruin fans making the trip for that. I, I've not been overly impressed by San Diego State. Uh, UCLA is also going through a little bit of transition with the new quarterback, so um, we'll see how close this one is. I, I think both programs are probably a little overvalued right now, and a win for either one is not going to be saying too much, but it's going to be a big one for either team to get it. San Diego State's two touchdown underdogs at home right now, but I think they're going to be able to keep it low scoring and tight enough to maybe cover that. Um, UNLV at Michigan, I I think UNLV might be the most underrated team in the conference right now, but they don't stand a chance. <laughs> and the house, um, uh, San Jose State at Cal Poly, um, this one I got my eye on just because the Spartans have gone through two top 20 teams already, and they have a short week against Cal Poly, so that's one they certainly should win, but wouldn't surprise me too much if that game is a little too close for comfort. Um, a little curious to see how Wyoming does after a big win over Texas Tech. Uh, it almost feels like Fresno State at Wyoming is the toughest game on the whole schedule now for the Bulldogs after what they did against the, the Red Raiders. But you know, we'll see if they can take care of business and look as impressive against Portland State. Um, Air Force is Sam Houston, just Sam Houston being an FBS program. Curious to see how that looks. Uh, quite a few other FCS games on the docket. So, um, it will be also interesting just because most of these games should be just about wrapped up by the time Fresno State takes the field or um, like the Boise State and the San Diego State games will be about halftime when Fresno State starts. So it's an earlier week for the conference and 
Also a reminder for all the Bulldog fans, kickoff in Valley Children's Stadium is at 6 p.m., not 7.30 like it usually is. So uh, make sure you're there on time and early and that you don't miss the first half if you show up at 7.30. It's a 6 o'clock kickoff for the opener. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm glad Jackson said something because I still hadn't even figured that one out yet myself. Um, so, but yeah, this uh, matchups, like you said, everything's going to be pretty much uh, either cl- the games are pretty much going to be over or being close to being over by the time the Bulldogs uh, take the field, with the exception of Hawaii, who are playing Albany. So that's really not going to be a barometer for much there. Um, however, the one team that I really want to keep an eye on the matchup is going to be that San Diego State UCLA matchup because as of right now the San Diego uh, San Diego State is two and zero on the on uh, in in overall play right now Jackson so uh, you know I'd kind of like to see what happens if they're if they're able to to come away and steal a win against UCLA. Does that change your outlook on on the San Diego State team? Yeah, it sure would, just because I, they are 2-0, but I don't think the way they've gotten there has been all that impressive. They had a tight one against a, a good Ohio team out of the MAC, but they did knock out Ohio's quarterback pretty early in that game. I think the Aztecs would have lost had they not been able to do that. Um, they also were a little sloppy against Idaho State last weekend. That ended up being a 36-28 to 28 win when it was all said and done. Um, and just kind of overall, they're, they're changing the identity at San Diego State a bit. They're trying to pass it more. They're trying to be more of a... They're trying to be more <laughs> Fresno State. I mean, anything but what they've been before, which is you know, they're un- unable to pass for the most part. So... Uh, but I, I think that's kind of been part of the identity and the charm of San Diego State is that smash mouth running game. And I'm not sure if going away from it's the greatest thing, um, but you know, this is kind of the first big test to see if it'll work out, if they can put up a good fight against UCLA or not. And then check this out. After that game, they go to Oregon State, who just absolutely dominated San Jose State. And I think uh, the Beavers will be able to do the same against the Aztecs. And then they've got Boise State on a short week. And then they go to Air Force. So... These are four games right here where San Diego State, it could kind of make or break their season well before they match up with Fresno State in the finale. Yeah, the, and uh, and it also uh, will uh, kind of beat them up a little bit before they get to Fresno State. <laughs> um, uh, you know, granted, Fresno is traveling to San Diego this year, uh, but uh, this might... Uh, it, it could be a key matchup. It's always been a key matchup every single year is that San Diego State game. Um uh, but uh, remind me, Jackson, do we have divisions this year or we don't have them? I I, I get kind of confused what year that was going to end. Is that this year where the divisions yeah. ended? So this year's it's in effect, no divisions. Yeah, and of course, uh, I mean, Fresno State, San Diego State has pretty much always decided the West division except for like two seasons. Uh, but that's out the window. So that's also one of those things that, before you knew if you lost one game against the other division, if you took care of business in the other seven, you were still automatically in the championship game. But this year without divisions, there could be some funky tiebreakers. There could be multiple seven and one teams. So uh, you really want to make sure you take care of business and run the table and secure a spot. 
So stay tuned till the end of the year when Jackson starts giving you a bunch of hypotheticals, because <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Uh, you know, you know, this team advances if this and this and this happens. But again, if this happens, then this team goes. Yeah, it's going to get kind of crazy. Um, I just love it when they start doing this kind of stuff. I, I don't know. I, I was kind of a fan of the divisions, uh, but at, at the same time, I'm kind of a fan of not having the divisions because now. Every single matchup matters uh, when you're playing a conference opponent. Um, and uh, if you're going to get into a championship game, you can't afford to lose any games against a conference opponent. So it's going to be very interesting to watch and uh, hopefully very entertaining and uh, in the favor of the Bulldogs this season. So we'll, we'll see kind of what happens here uh, uh, moving forward. But uh, I don't know, Jackson. I mean, we saw San Diego State on top with the overall record of 2-0. You've got Air Force, Fresno State, UNLV, and Wyoming all undefeated so far on the season. Now, Air Force really not getting tested this upcoming week. Uh, UNLV, good luck on winning that one. And then we've got <laughs> Wyoming, I don't think is really going to get tested on on this one. Now, if any one of those teams kind of stumble other than U, UNLV, that is going to be a glaring kind of a, a moment for the Bulldogs, right? Yeah, and you know, part of this season why we thought Fresno State might be positioned to make a run is again because the schedule is—I uh, don't want to say it—but I mean, I mean, relative to the past years, about the last two decades, I think this is probably the easiest conference lineup Fresno State's ever had, and the second easiest non-conference lineup Fresno State's had, like in the last. 25 years and so I wasn't sure how good Fresno State was going to be to take advantage of it or not but if they play like they did against Purdue I mean they're in good position they should be favored just about every week this season they don't have to play Air Force and they get Boise State at home and I mean again they if they keep winning I think they will be the favorite in just about every game now the problem is winning all these games in a row is near impossible as we saw from the 2013 team uh, they, as good as they were, they got tripped up one time at San Jose State, and it could have happened a few other times along the way. Either the blocks field goal at San Diego State just to, to keep that run alive. So, you know, it's it's tough to expect something like that to happen. But I mean, this schedule fits well. The conference is not in a great place. There's not a lot of top contenders, and one of them again, Air Force isn't on the schedule, so it lines up well. But Bulldogs are going to have to play a lot of above-average teams on the road, and it's always tough to win those games. Uh, there's no easy wins on the road on the schedule, so uh, they've really got to take care of business just to get into the conference championship game, let alone uh, talk about maybe a New Year Six. But um, Tulane and Troy are about the two other group of five schools that are Fresno State's biggest competition, and they're both playing ranked teams this week, so there's a chance Fresno State could be in that pole position after a, a presumed win against Eastern Washington. Yeah, and this is going to be uh, a barometer for the Bulldogs to figure out where they're going to be at uh, for the upcoming season. Um, where uh, let's, yeah, you know where I'm headed with this. It's going to be. Conference realignment, Jackson. We <laughs> next season, it looks like things are going to start uh, to be a little, well, a little bit crazy because we now have 
the Pac-12 has now become the Pac-2. Uh, we've <laughs> we've got the Big Ten, who is I don't know up to 14, 16 teams now, uh, along with uh, the Big Twelve. Uh, so. You know, first of all, Jackson, is there going to be some name changes in those conferences? <laughs> um, and and second of all, what the hell is going to happen with the Pac-12 now that they're down to two teams? Is that going to uh, you know change the mix up a little bit? Um, are they going to become the part of the Mountain West? Are they going to go independent? You know, lots of questions, Jackson. So break it down for us. Yeah, you know, I have heard the Big Twelve is thinking about a rebrand, but that the name is so well known that they don't want to change the name, but <laughs> maybe a different logo or something. I don't know exactly what that consists of, but, um, I mean, and, why, why are they naming conferences with a number? Why don't they just call yeah. it something? And then like the mountain West does, and then you don't have to keep changing the number. I mean, yeah, well, really. even the, the ACC is known as the Atlantic Coast Conference, and now they've got two Pacific Coast Conference teams <laughs> in their conference. So right. it didn't work out for them either. But uh, so I was in Hawaii over the weekend to cover uh, Stanford at Hawaii for some of the other coverage I do for 24-7 sports. And I woke up at like 7 a.m. Hawaii time, and I was already three hours late on the ACC <laughs> News. Uh, Stanford head coach Troy Taylor said after the game that he got a text at 2.30 in the morning Hawaii time that Stanford was in. He said he rolled over, read his phone, smiled, went back to bed. <laughs> and, uh, and all those players woke up and heard the news on game day before their game. So that was just kind of a, an interesting atmosphere to be a part of and how it, it played out for them. Again, I mean, 4.30 Hawaii time was uh, uh, 10.30 East Coast time when they made the decision over there at the ACC headquarters. So uh, it was a weird deal for them. Uh, one other story I want to tell from Hawaii is that I had to get up at 6 a.m. to watch the Bulldog game, and I made it. And thanks my dad and my friend Jesse for helping me, uh, help calling and texting me and make sure I didn't oversleep. I was up to like <laughs> 2 a.m. doing my Hawaii Stanford stories. And uh, so, so you, you didn't have me in the, in the hotel room to wake you yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then I find out my checkouts at 10 a.m., which is right around the end of the game. So I'm scrambling during the game to squeeze in my shower and. I went downstairs and got a donut at halftime, and I went back upstairs, and 10 seconds came off the clock, and Fresno State had given up a touchdown. I was trying to figure out how <laughs> Purdue had 28 points in 10 seconds, and I saw that kick return replay. Oh, that was a, a kick in the gut after already having a, a deficit at halftime. But, um, of course, it all ended up working out and um, got to San Jose State, and they did not form – perform well against Oregon State at all to, to finish a long Labor Day weekend. Um, but just to wrap up conference realignment, and the big question now is what happens with Oregon State and Washington State? And it's a matter of do they join the Mountain West or does the Mountain West join them? And if the Mountain West does join them, does the entire Mountain West join them? Because you don't necessarily need 14 teams in the conference. You could have as few as 10. So I'm not sure if they're going to have some stragglers or uh, some teams that get left out at the end of the day. I, I think if you're Fresno State, you're probably not going to be in danger of that happening. But on the flip side, if uh, whatever does happen, is it going to be a long-term grant of rights that maybe makes it difficult for you to leave the, to the Big 12 if you get that opportunity in a couple of years? So still a lot of question marks for Fresno State and all of this, but Oh, I've been saying since the beginning, kind of the worst case scenario in all this was 
still going to be an improvement for Fresno State because they would probably get Oregon State and Washington State in their conference, which is an upgrade. And um, you know, some of the scenarios that were hopeful have not panned out yet. But again, uh, it's not been the worst thing for Fresno State to get maybe two improved conference opponents uh, for the foreseeable future. Now, uh, the, if you're the Pac-12, you're looking to try, and if you can pull the Mountain West to kind of uh, merge and take on the Pac-12 name, that would uh, guarantee that uh, uh, the remaining two teams of the Pac-12 get a bigger portion of uh, cut of the money that's left in there because should it um, should it end up uh, – becoming a problem where they have to dissolve the Pac-12, then all that money that's there in the Pac-12 conference gets the, gets distributed between all the teams that used to be in the Pac-12. Right, Jackson? Am I, am I still on this one? So they're trying to keep all the money by keeping the name versus splitting up all the money with all the teams that left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it would seem to make sense that they would just, those two would join the mountain West and you get to 14 easy peasy kind of a thing. But that brand does have a lot of value. The money that is associated with the PAC 12 that is still lingering is a big deal. The, um, the credits for, I mean, the mountain or NCAA tournament credits go a long way and they've got quite a few of them there. There's some lingering TV stuff and maybe even some connections to not just, you know, there wasn't an attractive TV deal for them to be had in the first place, but they could pool a contract that is better than the current Mountain West contract. So you got to factor that in. Um, one aspect that I haven't mentioned is that Oregon State and Washington State were rumored to be talking with the American Athletic Conference, which does have a much better TV deal than the Mountain West right now. And the AAC, American Athletic Conference, publicly stated they don't want to go west. So that's off the table. It's just what form are these 14 remaining schools in the west going to take? And will they be split up at all? Which conference are they going to all end up in? Um, That's going to be the discussion over the next couple of weeks, maybe months. But they got to figure it out before the 2024 season because Oregon state and Washington state can't be in the pack two next year. They need to have a full conference. So um, I don't know how drastic it's going to be when it's all said and done, but we should have a, an answer in the relatively near future. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen here because there's still a lot of rumors swirling around as far as conference realignment is concerned uh the different options i mean the other option was uh those two teams just go independent and not join anybody (laughs) so uh i mean they could they you know they might try and take a a byu stance or or try and become a juggernaut like like Notre dame who didn't need a conference up until this point Uh, i mean that uh that is still, uh, you know, an option for them. Now, ideally, the the Pac-12, the, the remaining Pac- two teams of the Pac-12 would like to pull in some teams from other conferences and, and kind of rebuild this whole conference uh, because it seems like no one has interest in them <laughs> at the moment. Uh, and they've been verbally told that no one has interest in them. So they're, they're kind of sitting there licking their wounds. Even though we saw this Oregon State team come to to Fresno recently, and they just seemed like they were uh, on a path to really making some noise, and then all of a sudden they get left out in the cold. 
<laughs> so uh, I don't know, Jackson. Uh, I mean, is it does it look like this is going to be a happy ending for these two teams, or they're just going to have to kind of bite the bullet and move forward? Yeah, I think relatively they're going to be able to dictate how this goes. But I mean, this is a nightmare for them in the bigger picture to be left out, especially as you mentioned for Oregon State, who's on such a roll right now for football to be left out of all of this. Um, I got to see them in person covering the San Jose State game on Sunday and they had a massive crowd of Beaver fans that showed up for that game as much, if not more than Fresno state usually brings to that game when they play the Spartans. So that was pretty impressive to see them make that trip and um, just the energy around that team to be a top 20 team right now. But yeah, this is uh, I mean, such a blow to those programs and we'll see how exactly it, it forms together. They would be best off probably stealing teams like, Tulane and Memphis and you know, SMU's off the table as they go to the ACC with Stanford and Cal now at a, a huge discount. But uh, some of those teams would probably be attractive to help them rebuild the Pac-2 to whatever they can be. But the most logical sense right now is nine Mountain West teams dissolving the conference and uh, nullifying the buyout to leave the conference and those nine teams joining the Pac-12 pack two and uh, we'll see if the other three mountain West teams are also included or if they get left out in the cold. I think that's one of the options basically here on the table, unless it makes more financial sense for the current 12 to bring the other two into the mountain West. So um, big consequences for a few programs, but not a lot probably changing for the majority of all these schools involved. The only way that I see the Mountain West um, merging with the Pac-12 and taking on the Pac-12 name would be if uh, they were guaranteed to uh, still have uh, Power 5 affiliation, which I doubt would happen, right, Jackson? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. Um, Again, maybe if they could have reconstructed something with the remaining four and some other group of five teams across the country, but that doesn't seem to be the way they're headed. And this is going to be, I think, Mountain West 2.0 when it's all said and done. And maybe they'll have more money to back them, but uh, not much more respect on the national landscape. Now, what I see coming as well is the the return of divisions if those two teams join. (laughs) (laughs) It may go back to divisions again because now you have a lot of teams in there and uh, and you kind of have to kind of give everybody a little bit more of a shot again. So they dissolve the divisions. You could see a return of the divisions if those two teams come back. So that is going to be interesting. Of course, as always, Jackson is going to have the pulse of what is going on with conference realignment. He usually has more information um, that he uh, breaks down in the premium board. So if you haven't done so already, head over over to thebarkboard.com and get a premium subscription because, you know, even though Jackson seems to like give a lot of information in these podcasts... He does not really give a lot of information. <laughs> let, let me just put it that way. There's some stuff he may know that he, he just doesn't share all the time. And our premium subscribers are usually in the know. And so that's your best bet as to get the most accurate and latest information in uh, as to what is going on around the country. Um, again, that is the place to do it. Uh, you can even ask him questions directly and he will actually answer them. <laughs> so um, that being said, Jackson, any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? 
Yeah, just be sure to head over to barkboard.com for our weekly coverage, what we've got going on. We've been interviewing everyone about what happened at Purdue, previewing what's going on this week against Eastern Washington. Um, we've got to interview some of the newcomers. I had a really fun interview with uh, Kamari Bailey, uh, the new defensive end who transferred from Idaho and heard his story about how he's originally from the United Kingdom and actually played basketball with Eduardo Andre from the Fresno State basketball team back home. So a really interesting story about how not only his background, but how he got into football in the first place. And uh, Gabe was out there as well. He talked to Dean Clark and got a nice profile story on him that's going to be posted as well. And uh, we've got our regular coverage of our our mega report where we break down the matchup really in-depth and go further in-depth about the opposing our players and the matchups in the given game and um, a lot of else that's going on as well as our first in-person insider game report will be on the field Saturday looking for all the recruits that are on hand and getting all the behind the scenes notes about what's going on in the game that maybe you don't see from the stands or from the field or from the TV Uh, so we'll have that covered and um, right now, our, we're currently offering $1 on your first month for VIP, so you can join in for just a dollar and check it out for your first month and see how you like it, or you can get 30% off a full year and stay covered through the whole season at a nice discount. Yeah, and so keep an eye on that. If you get the opportunity to uh, to, to take advantage of some of these premium, uh, some of these uh, offerings that uh, the Bark Board is putting out, uh, do so. Uh, but again, if you want the ability to also have um, Paramount Plus included in your subscription, you, you, you have to take the full uh, subscription uh, versus a promotional, right, Jackson? They, they're they not able to pick up Paramount Plus if they do one of the promotions. Yeah, so if you're currently subscribing on VIP, you get, or at full price, you get Paramount Plus for free, complimentary to you. That's like a $70 plus dollar value, which is almost as much as the VIP itself, so uh, you can do get double the value for uh, half the price, and um, that is our loyalty perk. So if you're on a promotional price right now, you do have to wait until it renews. And also, if you're joining, uh, so maybe if you want Paramount Plus sooner rather than later, then do that dollar for a month, and then once you renew for your second month, you'll be at full price, and you'll get Paramount Plus included. Uh, and we also offer some upgradable opportunities for our monthly members too. And um, so that's a way to kind of get your foot in the door and keep your Paramount Plus. Absolutely. So if you want some uh, great entertainment and uh, all the latest news on Fresno State, uh, go over to the Bark Board and uh, subscribe now and become a premium subscriber. That being said, I want to thank everyone for joining us. And if you're looking for Jackson, you can find him on Twitter at JacksonMoore247. You can find me on Twitter at Red Wave Report. Um, go over to our Facebook page and give it a like uh, if you haven't done so already. And then head over to TheBarkBoard.com where we offer both free and premium subscriptions for all the latest news in Fresno State Athletics. And things are starting to heat up as the season starts to progress. So, uh, you know stay tuned there will be more podcasts coming out all over this season whether it be matchup updates or breaking news uh stay tuned the barkboard.com will hop on at, at a moment's notice and deliver all the latest news and updates i want to thank everyone for joining us and join us again next week as we continue the ongoing coverage of fresno state athletics